Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I had started fairly early, um, and my drinking career was very short. But it was um, it, I did enough damage in, you know, seven or eight years to um, to make me say, "Oh, fuck, this is scary." You know, like mm-hmm. first picking up around twelve, thirteen. You know, first trying, I think around twelve, and then the minute I the minute the minute I had a substance in me, it was like, "Oh, this is nice." I'm knocking doors down with Jason Rockman. Uh, It's hard to find enthusiasm and passion like he has for music. Jason, of course, is a DJ on CHOM 97.7 in Canada. He's also a CTV national news and spokesperson in both Montreal and Ottawa for the Comic-Cons there, too. And, of course, he is the lead singer of Slaves on Dope. He's sold over 100,000 records worldwide over his 25-year career, been on stages with the likes of Ozzy Osbourne, Korn, Motorhead, Our Lady of Peace, Pantera, Queens of the Stone Age, the list goes on and on and on. And they even worked with the likes of Daryl McDaniels of Run DMC and Chuck D from Public Enemy. But what you may not know about Jason is he struggled with addiction. We get into how he fell into his addiction and his pathway out. Plus, we talk a lot of common language as I had a 20-year radio career. We have a lot of fun. Talk some of our fandom of professional wrestling, MMA, music, comic books, all of it, and lots of positive recovery talk in there as well. And hey, while you're checking Knocking Doors Down out, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you get a lot out of this podcast, share with a friend. And don't forget the archive of interviews we have. Bam Margera, Brandon Novak, Kat Von D, Charlie Sheen, Edward Furlong, Kelly Osborne. The list goes on and on of amazing guests that have been on the podcast sharing how they have found purposeful lives. Speaking of purpose, how about a lifestyle brand with purpose? 5150 LTM. That's right. Not only is it a lifestyle brand that can fit whatever it is you're trying to achieve in life, but they give back to the community. Right now, I am wearing my new 5150 hat, warm weather jacket. As well, I got my new 5150 joggers on that I like to wear around the winter time. And you, the listener of Knocking Doors Down, get 20% off every time you shop at 5150LTM. All you have to do is use the code KDD20 at checkout and get 20% off. And of course, I said it helps within the community. And how does 5150 give back to the community? Portions of the sales benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation. There are three amazing programs, the race to end the stigma, the race for autism, and the race to be drug free. 
more on the Carlos Vieira Foundation, go to carlosvierafoundation.org. Jason Rockman, thanks for joining me on Knocking Doors Down. Pleasure, man. Oh no, pleasure's all my I'm dude. I I, I always love uh your room, people. If you aren't watching, uh there will be clips, of course, on on the social media. You see Jason's uh you're a collector like I'm a collector. Seems to be a radio personality person thing, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's a radio personality slash uh addict alcoholic thing, <laughs> maybe. But uh, yeah, no, I've got a lot of stuff in here. Um I yeah, I've got a lot of stuff in here. I got and it's just there's more stuff that always just keeps coming in (laughs) so a lot of stuff has to leave um, because you don't see the other side of it and it's just insane i mean i've got all kinds of crap in here but but yeah it's fun hopefully i visit someday uh, it's been a long time since i've been to canada uh just to give people i already did a little intro here but of course jason one of my favorite radio personalities of all time that's a great thing about internet technology i can listen to your show and podcast and uh just like yeah my kind of dude i could have seen this uh uh hanging out at some point if we cross paths in in the radio career but uh we also share that good old thing of alcoholism so mm. we're you know we're kind of jumping into that the odd thing you shared with me you're 30 years sober and you quit drinking about the time i age-wise started drinking right yeah that, well you know this well first of all thanks for all that kind words i appreciate that and you know, it, it's it's funny because I stopped when I stopped. Most of my friends were just like you, like you're saying, just kicking it into gear. You know, it's like, oh, this is how this works, and like, let's get into first gear and let's like, you know, let's shift right through this. I had started fairly early, um, and my drinking career was very short, but it was um, it, I did enough damage in, you know, seven or eight years to um, to make me say, oh, fuck, this is scary. You know, like yeah. first picking up around 12, 13, you know, first trying, I think around 12. And then the minute I, the minute, the minute I had a substance in me, it was like, oh, this is nice. Because, yeah. you know, you, you w- people always talk about their, they'll ask you, well, what's your earliest memory of being an alcoholic? And mine has nothing to do with my first drink. My first memory of being an alcoholic is being in the schoolyard when I was about probably six or seven in elementary school. And in grade school and uh, looking at people across the schoolyard from me and being sure they were talking about me. <laughs> and that just wow. like, that's like, oh yeah, I, I, you know, the ease and comfort that comes from alcohol. And the only thing that gave me the ease and comfort that alcohol gave me after was a 12 step program. Yeah. Cause it's like once, you know, once it stopped working and, and it started going the other way, cause you know, we all have a great usually we have this great drinking career for a little while where it's just magic. It's perfect. And we all, (laughs) and we always think back to those days where it's, Oh man, remember that? Yeah. You were 15, you were 14. (laughs) Like you had no care in the world. Like a lot of the time there's those early memories that are, that are good. Or there are those one, you know, there's those handful of great times. And when you, and when you really break it down, a lot of people will attest to this. There's maybe a handful of great times that you can really remember, but you'll remember all the shit stuff. Um, and that's the thing is that it, it, it never, you know, it, it only got worse. And once I discovered recovery, um, I was like, wow, there is a way to live and feel like an okay person without having to, to, you know, to, to, to mask everything or to, yeah. to numb everything. What was home like then at 12 years old? I mean, I got confronted with drinking. It's funny you say that. I haven't thought about this in a long time. I was playing basketball in eighth grade at my school. And before the game, we went to a buddy's house and he breaks out a beer and everybody else has finishes it 
but I didn't have any because I had addiction in the home. So I was, everything scared me. Um, you know, of course, yeah. as I shared before, this pornography was still present because I could get a hold of that, not n- right. knowing or understanding that's a drug. But uh, 12 years old, man, what? Well, my parents split up when I was nine, um, got divorced. And that, that was traumatic, like for any kid, you know, now being a parent and, you know, I have a, two teenagers. I got an 18 year old and a 15 year old. And, and now, you know, it's, there's nothing like having kids to, to really mirror, you know, what your, what your childhood was like and, and, and realize how important, you know, these years are the, the, the formative years with kids are just so important. And it's your, the way you act will can, can shape the way a kid's going to, you know, going to develop and how they're going to be. So 12 year old, 12 years old for me, I was dealing with my parents splitting up. Um, my mom, and my dad, you know, got together really young. And my mom at one point was just like, I'm not happy. You know, here I am with two kids. My mom was pregnant at 21 and she was just like, you know, I want, I want something else out of life. So she, her and my dad drifted apart. And when I ended up moving in with my mom, uh, with my dad, cause I wanted to be with my dad, you know, cause my, my dad was like, my dad was hurt. He was upset. And he, he, I guess he played me a little bit. And I ended up going with my dad my, my brother stayed with my mom. So when I moved in with my dad, uh, I was put in a situation where I was living with my dad. He had a girlfriend and she had a son who was older than me. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where I started drinking. That's where all my using started was with, I had an older sibling now. And uh, and I thought he was the coolest thing in the world. Um, and I just remember my first drink being at a Christmas party. Uh, it was a house party around Christmas time. And I remember just trying, I don't even remember what it was. It might've been wine. It might've been liquor but i just remember drinking this and being like whoa and just being uh, in another place and once i started doing that i was like oh this is fun and then it was really when i tried um drugs for the first time when i when i smoked up for the first time Uh i got high at around 15 that's when the two together were just from then until 21 i was every day Every yeah. single day. And it was amazing how, you know, the drinking was from maybe 12 to 15. It would be occasionally here and there. But once I started, um, you know, smoking and putting the two together, that was, that was what really good, just got me doing everything else. And I, I gotta ask much. Uh, I, I mean, I'm mirroring what, what, what you're saying, but you know, again, I was a late bloomer with, with substances per se, yeah. but for me, like that's also where that escapism of music came into play, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and even then the radio being my buddy at night, putting sure. that on, you know, the, the, the love jams DJ or, yeah. you know, we had KSJO in the Bay area at that time. So it was the nighttime rock DJ or every now and then my AM could get like, uh, Dr. Demento and things like that, yeah. that, that it just, that's where that like passion for that too kind of came into place. Cause I was such an introvert, but I, but I could hear these guys. And it's like, you know, once I gained that understanding, wow, they're like craftsmen and they're in there. You know, I started to realize that's where a lot of my escapism took off too. Yeah. I mean, mine was definitely in music, um, through music. Music was always my best friend. You know, the, the great thing about music was you could just put your headphones on and you could be in the world you wanted to be in. And music was everything to me when I was growing up. And I never wanted to be a musician. I mean, I ended up being a musician and being in a band after, and that's what I did professionally for for a long time. But um, my music was my friend, you know, and it was like all my, these bands meant, the bands I grew up with meant the world to me. And, and, and I, 
you know, I always worked, I always had, um, paper routes and, and, and all kinds of, you know, all kinds of little jobs from, from when I was really, really young. So I liked independence. I liked having money and I liked being able to do things. So I started buying records and, and, and I remember, you know, I would take out a, a record and, and I would go buy it and then, and then I would listen to it and stare at the, you know, at the, at the sleeve and at the liner notes and, and everything. So I can understand how these, you know, for you with radio, like music was, was my, why my everything. Um, everything that I, I loved was, was there M- music and movies, yeah. all that stuff. It's like wherever you could escape, wherever you could escape reality and be, and live in this world where, where things were different, you know? Yeah. All, all too well. I, I, you gave me chills thinking back to that of, of, you know, when we could get albums and that was the yeah. thing, you know, big record and you get the artwork and pulling out the liner notes. But I was like that, the same with movies, like, mm-hmm. Oh, Star Wars, the George Lucas film. Who's George Lucas? What's he about? Yeah. What's it, you know? Oh, yeah. Deep dives, man. Yeah. I just, I, I was always that guy that had to be so inquisitive, which I think reflecting back played into my alcoholism and exploration of sub, some, some substances. I'd, I, I still am thinkful I'm an anomaly, like, you know, try and blow and going. Yeah, no, uh, paranoid the first time, heart racing. No, thank you. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, no, th- this pill, ooh, yeah, doctor gave me it for pain after minor surgery, made me puke the first time. I'm good, mm. um, you know, and, and pot, eh, it was in there, but, you know, it wasn't a, it was a take it or leave it for me. But boy, that alcohol, man, I, I, I got that allergy to it. <laughs> you know, I put it in my body. I become Jekyll yeah. and Hyde real quick. Yeah. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. I was pretty, I liked all of it, you know, and, and, um, cocaine was really scary because cocaine was the, the next phase. It, it was where I, I just started doing that. It was the weekend thing. It's oh, let's do that on Saturdays now. You know, it'll be special occasions. We'll do Coke. And, and what I found with cocaine was like, I could do a line of Coke and then I could drink more. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. But that feeling after that regret, that dirty feeling coming down, I didn't like it. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful that I didn't do you know, I didn't do a ton of it, but I, uh, that's where I was heading, yeah. you know, I mean, I was doing it. It was, it was started to be like, oh yeah, let's do it on Thursdays. And and I remember like the first time I tried cocaine was in an alley with, with a guy I worked with. I worked at a shoe store. I was selling shoes and my manager did Coke with me. And I'm thinking to myself, here I was, you know, 18 years old and I'm doing Coke with my manager from a retail store. Like what kind of fucking what is that? You know what I mean? Like, like I, I think of my kids now, I'm like, like I might, both my kids work at Uniqlo. Okay. And I can't imagine their Uniqlo manager taking them out back and doing a lot of blow with them, you know? And I, I, and I mean, it could, those things probably happen still, but the world's a little different now. You yeah. know, I think things are a little different than they were back then, but, um, God, yeah, I hope so. 
Yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, really, like, so being that you have teenagers too, and I don't know if you know, um, I'm also, I also work for a nonprofit now, and we're very big in, in, um, bringing awareness and support to the fentanyl crisis, man. And I know yeah. other friends yeah. that up there in Canada that it's, it's starting to hit you guys now too. And especially it's, in Vancouver. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Jason, it's fucking scary, man. It's terrifying. It, there's it's terrifying. no experiment, experimentation anymore. No, no, Kids it's just gone. Like, one one wrong move one wrong you know someone gives you the wrong thing and you're done yeah and that's that's scary it's scary i mean you know even weed now um yeah you know back when i would was buying weed i mean hydroponic was you know it wasn't as huge as it is now um so you would be buying you know like crappy weed that was probably cut with other shit and you know you'd roll it up and seeds would be popping in your <laughs> joint and you know you had to go to a a, a gate like it was like a, a like an apartment building where like Jamaican guys were selling you weed and, and it was like super sketchy and, and now the whole weed culture is completely different. Like I mean, weed's yeah. legal in Canada. Yeah. You know, or, over the holidays, I I wanted to uh, to buy weed for somebody as a gift. You know, and it's the same as going to the liquor store or yeah. going to the beer store. I mean, you've got it look like the, the in Quebec where I'm from, weed is 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 governed by the the government. So. The only people that can sell it legally are this this one. It's basically like a chain. So it's it's like the Apple Store, but for weed. And when you go in, it looks like that. Yeah. Like it's super clean. There's no product anywhere. There's all this information. There's these people that are there in like these you know these polo shirts that'll tell you everything you need to know. Sativa, indica. Like when I was growing up, there was none of that. You just got what you got. Yeah. And so in a way, it's kind of. I mean, it's regulated, so it's good. Because at least you know if you're if you're looking for a certain thing, you can get that certain thing. But you can also get really powerful stuff like shatter and stuff that's just like holy shit, this will knock you on your ass. So it's 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 kind of scary in a way. But um, but fentanyl is like that's a whole other level, man. That's just nuts. That is just terrifying. Well, we've seen it. Um, we spoke with a lady that in the Bay Area. She's, uh, uh, I think it's Mothers Against Fentanyl is what it's called. She's part of an organization that she helped start. And her son, Travis, um, he got into fentanyl because he was 15. He started smoking weed. And because of the THC content, you know, mm -hmm. we're talking a young brain here. It's yeah, not going to be yeah, mature well, for about another decade. And he had a psych uh, psychotic break from the high content of the yep. THC. And so even then, it's not the thing. I used to talk with a buddy of mine who he's been sober, I think, 25 years now, 20, 25 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, his, you know, he used to say, if I had a choice between my kids drinking or smoking weed, it'd be weed. And now he's like, I'm scared for him, period. I know. I know. And that's that's the thing. So what you said is so true. Um, I had a because, you know, I work with Comic-Cons here, right? I don't know if right. you know, but I, I work. I'm a spokesperson for a bunch of Comic-Cons. So we get to have a lot of really interesting people that come through as guests and you know, a lot of the conversations you have with people, it's like, nah, yeah, okay, it's fun to talk to somebody about whatever movie they were in. But if you get a chance to talk to them in the green room or, or, or you know, if you're picking them up from the airport or, or wherever, um, you'll have these conversations that can veer off in all these different directions. And and Jonathan Reese davis the guy who played Salah in, uh, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and he was also, um, he was the dwarf in, um, in uh, Lord of the Rings. I forget, I think it's Gimli. I'm not sure if my wife will kill me right now. I Sounds right. Yeah. But um, we had this conversation about drugs and about how he thinks that kids shouldn't be using anything until they're in their mid-20s because the brain's not developed. And that's something that is so not talked about enough. Mm -hmm. And when he had this conversation, 
Um, my mom ended up coming on the Friday night. She always loves coming to the con, the con on the weekend, but Friday before it gets too crazy. And her and John Jonathan Reese Davis had this conversation. I was and I was privy to it, and it was cool because my mom's a therapist. So the two of them talking about that was it was so interesting. But my takeaway from that was like I had to install that instill that into my kids and let them know like, Hey, like guys stay away from stuff until you're a certain age, like try not to experiment. And so far so good, but it's, it's scary because you're right. I've seen that happen. My, my brother had a friend of his who tried weed for the first time. She had a psychotic break and she was gone for two years from the first time she tried marijuana. And I was like, what? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. But you know, and, and you know, with THC contents and, and everybody's brain chemistry is a little bit different. So yeah. You know, there's there's similarities, but there's things that are different. So it's gonna affect people differently. So yeah, it's 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 scary. Yeah, my partner, she um she believes that uh, her really bad anxiety and panic attacks didn't develop until she was in a relationship with a guy that did right. and roommates and everything else, and and she smoked something that's really strong, and after that she's like, I my panic attacks started after that, mm. you know, yeah. and so she's like, I don't know if it broke something in my brain. And that, like you're saying, that's something they don't talk about. Everybody's no. brain can be so unique. Like, yeah. I don't know about you, history of addiction on both sides of my family, you know, alcoholism and drugs and, you know, so genetic disposal to it, you know, predisposition or what it is. And, you know, we just don't know. And that's just, yeah. that's just frightening. It's like, look, I can guarantee you this one thing abstinence never got anybody you know nobody died from being abstinent no i know i mean listen i i look at it as you know life has so many you know the cards are stacked against you in life in so many ways um just out of the gate like everybody's different everybody's experience is different but you know life is tough and to be able to ha take life on um on life's terms i think you really have to have a clear head um and it's, you know, it's, it, we all get influenced by different things. And I remember early in recovery, a guy like Henry Rollins really, really influenced me because, I mean, he was very loud and aggressive about it, uh, you know, but he would say things like, hey, you know, life's going to try to beat me down and I got to have my armor on and, and I've got to be, I've got to be ready. And I don't want to be going through life in a, in a fog. Like I got to be ready to have this fight every day. And maybe it was my age. Um, being 21, but it really resonated with me. And I, and I thought, yeah, this fight and it's true. Like it, and I, and I do believe that, you know, there, there's a lot of, a lot of struggles in life. And, and if you can take them on head on with a clear head, you're in a much better position to, to come out, Absolutely. Um, you know, to come out on top or at least to come out relatively unscathed, but it, it, life's tough. Life can be really tough. And, and to, to, you know, to, numb yourself and and to not feel i don't know it's just not for me not for yeah. me i would much rather feel everything yeah i'm at that point now because i can manage it you know i didn't mm. much much like either the, the traumas in childhood and feeling like an outsider i can relate to what you're saying everybody's sure. talking about me and none of it's positive and you know um you know going into adulthood clearly with just no coping skills you know kind of yeah I didn't, I didn't have a closeness with my dad. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't learning some of those life things, even just like, yeah, I've always had a pretty good work ethic, um, but really just knowing how to navigate and, you know, negotiate certain things. And I don't mean that in a manipulative way, 
Right. I just, I just didn't have it. There was no emotional maturity. And so when, when hard things came up, I was such a people pleaser. That's, that's still, you know, uh, we were talking before recording isms and we can get into that a little bit more later on, but it was all there. It was all present. It's like the perfect storm, you know, insecure yeah. kid, all of a sudden, you know, getting notoriety compliments. I can't, I, I still suck with taking compliments, yeah. uh, but, but when I'm boozed up, hell yeah, no, that's right. My, my interview with Mick Mars was badass, right? You know, so it, uh, it was a perfect storm for me. It's, it's tough. Um, it's tough to take compliments too. It's really, especially for people like us, like we're like so used to being, you know, it's much easier to give them, but to accept them is, um, but I, I had somebody that taught me that they, they said, you know, when someone gives you a compliment, don't be all awkward about it. Just say, thank you. Yeah. You know, jump like, oh, well, I don't know what you're fucking listening. Like someone was like, oh yeah, you're, I really like, you know, your band or, and I would say things like, oh fuck, you have bad taste. <laughs> or, you know, or, or just say like, thank you. Just say fucking thank you. It's the simplest thing to do. <laughs> say thank you. I appreciate it. Like how hard is that to say? But uh, man, we have to complicate everything. Yeah, this is true. Uh, that's interesting. You bring up Henry Rollins. I haven't thought about how much like get in the van, his spoken mm, word. Uh, sure. Uh, Ready because of him, um, read Ian McKay's book. Yeah. Well, if you look back there, I don't know if you see where my finger is, not there, there, right there. Yeah. That's an outtake from Damaged, uh, the Damaged album cover. Really? That's a, that's a, um, Ed, Ed Culver, the photographer, um, did a series for that whole, uh, cover where Rollins is hitting the mirror, you know, that picture of him when he's yeah. punching the mirror. And there's a bunch of outtakes and he had a bunch of prints that he, um, that he sold of, of those that were like signed a number. And I grabbed one. Cause I, I love black flag. Like my, the, my fence outside of my, um, my house is my buddy's a welder and he welded a fence for us and the black, the black flag bars are on each side of it. So people will walk by my house and some people are like, Oh, that's a nice design. And then some skate kid will be like, Oh fuck. <laughs> so I get, I get like, I get the whole, like, like I love Rollins and I like get in the van. It's just so great. And it's so influential on me when I was, you know, 22 getting in a van or 21 sure. getting in a van and doing the same thing, like just going across the country trying to play music. So how long, when did you really start like picking up? What did you play? And, and I was a singer. I was a singer. My, yeah. I sang in a band called Slaves on Dope. Um, and I was in that band for, I mean, the band still exists, you know, it's my, my guitar player and I, it's our band and we, we started, you know, we've been in that band for, it's like going on, I think it's 30 years this year. I said, yeah, I think it's 30 years this year. Um, wow. February 5th will be 30 years, Christ. Um, so I, I started it when we were, I was six months sober when I started the band. Um, but uh, yeah, no, we 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 did it professionally for probably about 11 years. And then we took, there was a bit of a, a, a break when I had kids and stuff. And I wanted to figure out what I wanted to do. And then we went back to it and recorded a couple of records. And um, we're both just at different places now. And Right. I think there's always a version of Slaves on Dope that's ready to go if somebody wants us to play. But we, you know, we we did we really did like we moved to California. We we got signed. We did Ozfest. We were on Ozzy Osbourne's label and Sharon Osbourne. Um, we we did it, and I loved it. You know, it was fun. There was a time in my life where it was an incredible outlet for me. But like anything, you know, and again going back to Rollins, like where he's at in his life now, um, I hear him talk about being in a band and how he just thinks it's. He goes, I got to a certain age where I'm like, I don't want to be that guy getting up on stage. It just looks stupid. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I love, like, I love music. I love being, and you'll understand this. I love being on this side of music now where I can help a band. Yeah. You know, when like a band gives me, like I have a couple of gold records back there that bands gave me right there. And when I got those, man, those meant more to me than anything Yeah, because I helped somebody. 
Yeah. I help somebody achieve their goal. And that's a, you know, that's us, that's doing service, right? Yeah. That's practicing the principles in all our affairs. And, and that to me was so important. So my, my, my experiences with music, I've been on both sides of it, of the coin. And I much prefer this side right now where I'm at, um, cause performing and, and making music and all that, like there's a lot of ego that's wrapped up in that. And, and I'm okay with not being the star and not being, you know, I'm okay with being the facilitator for the star. Like, I don't mind being the guy that has the star on and tries to get some great conversation out of the star. It's fine. Like, I'm okay with that. Like, I actually pr prefer that, you know, right now. I, it's interesting you bring up ego. I've been working with a couple of um, past guests, uh, one primarily a gentleman, Adam Jablin, He's really been trying to help me frame that because I, I don't know. I got into radio because you didn't have to see me and I felt comfortable saying <laughs> yeah, whatever yeah. the hell I said. Yeah, and, that's changed now, though. Yeah. Now it's now it's all about being present. And, you know, now you right. can't. Now people always say that joke. Hey, you have a face for radio. Well, now yeah. your face is going to be everywhere because there's cameras in the studios and they want you to do social media and all that. So, yeah, it's different. Yeah. So I'm, I'm struggling, um, Jason, kind of with. Uh, like I'm, I'm good about when it's something when, like this. We're having a conversation, stuff flowing out. But he's like, "You've got a real a lot to like say. You need to be putting that, you know, content out there and be okay with sure. it." Well, I'm like, "But it's not about me. It's about recovery and mental health and these people's story, you know." And he's like, yeah. "No, no, dude. It's got to be about your story primarily. Got to make people <laughs> like you and want to come back for you." And I'm like, "Oh." Well, it's true. I mean, you have to, there, there's a certain, I mean, I, I always, you know, I say that I don't, didn't like, you know, like I'm okay, not doing, not performing and all that now, maybe music, but I still do a lot of stuff where I'm front and center and I'm okay with that. Like, I like it. I'm not going to lie and say, I don't like, I don't, I don't know if it's the attention or I just, I like, I like performing. I always have, you know, yeah. ever since I was young, like I remember in elementary school, I got in front of a you know, in the gymnasium, you know, the classic like talent school talent show and going and singing, do you want to know a secret by the, by the Beatles? And, and, and I remember my mom saying like, minute you got up there, I knew that that's all you wanted to do. And there was a time that's all I wanted to do. And I guess I found a way to, to kind of shift gears and go into another direction where I can still kind of be doing stuff, but, but it's not, but, but my true, I got to look at what my intention is, yeah. you know, um, intentions really important. And, uh, you know, I, I my wife loves Oprah, and I and I like Oprah too. And I know, I know a lot of people have their opinions on Oprah, but I think Oprah's a remarkable woman. I think um, she's a remarkable human being, and just what she's overcome. You know, forget about all the other bullshit you want to say and say, oh, she's rich and she's the, you know what? Doesn't matter. That woman has overcome things and and really has made it her goal in life to try to make things a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And one of the big things that I got from her was my. My uh, and and my wife was intention. What's your intention? Mm -hmm. And Oprah says that all the time. And and my intention is very important, you know. And and my intention now, when it comes to any content that I do, is just to try to do good work, yeah. and not be wrapped up in the results. You yeah. know, I really want to just do good work, whatever I do, um, whether it be interviewing, whether it be if I'm making music, whether it be I'm talking to you. Like I want to just try to put my 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 all into it and do the best I can. But the intention is just to. It's just to do good work and not worry about how many views is this going to get or how many people are like liking this photo or like, who cares? It doesn't matter. You know, like who are you helping today? That to me, that's more important, you know? Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. It's like, it's just doing, doing good work and, 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 but really who are you helping with this? Like, who are you helping with anything? You know, like, are you, I'll, I'll drive down the highway and I'll, I'll, 
I'll see someone pulled over changing their tire. My first instinct is like, I, I should pull over and make sure they're okay. And I'll go, why? But then it really is that my, my first feeling is like, are they okay? Yeah. <laughs> and and, I, and I, that's just, that's hard. I'm hardwired like that now. Like I, yeah. I, you know, and then I'll look and I'll be like, oh yeah, they, they, they seem to be, you know, in an hour, but he's got a phone. It's, but then there's the other side of you where it's like, oh, if I pull over, they might think I'm weird because I'm walking up to them. It's like, fuck no. I mean, <laughs> it's such a strange world we live in. You know, if like if there's, uh, if it's a, if it's a woman that's broken down, are they going to think that I'm trying to abduct them? Like, no, I'm just want to make sure they're okay. Yeah. And I don't, it's, we live in a very strange time now where, you know, it, what's your intention, right? And yeah. my intention, I, I try to make my intention always positive as much as I can. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. So what part of Cal- you you said you're in Central California. So where are you where are you near? Uh about an hour north of Fresno. Are you you're close to Sacramento, right? Yeah, about two hours south of Sac. Right. Okay. So you're south of Sacramento. So you're between Sacramento and, and LA. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I I toyed around a lot with uh I had connections. I was trying to get big market and, and it would have yeah. happened, but once my kids were born, it was like Yeah, change decision things, to stay. Man. I want, you know, I wanted to be dad. And, you know. Same. That's why I stopped doing music. That's why yeah. I stopped touring because I was having my my son. You know, my son was being born, and and um, I just didn't want to be that guy that was on the road all the time. I, I knew guys in bands that had kids, and it was always a conflict of interest. They were always saying how they, you know, they miss things, they miss their kids' recital, or they miss their kids' soccer game, or you know, some of them miss their kids' birth. Like yeah. to be on tour, like fuck, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just me. I I I needed that. I needed that to to shift gears and and to do different things. And I'm glad I did, man. I'm glad. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you've had a, a, a wonderful radio career. I mean, it's funny because uh, uh, there's so many people here that know who you are for your alignment with rock radio, the Comic-Cons and stuff like that. There's, yeah. there's buddies of mine that that not in recovery or anything. They follow you because it's like, you know, talented cool. guy. I mean, you've achieved some great stuff. And You know, it's funny because I... I never wanted to be in broadcasting. I never want, no, I didn't go to broadcasting school. I didn't do anything of that nature. But I can tell you every time that we would go into a radio station to do an interview with Slaves on Dope, I loved the vibe. I loved it. I loved it. Every time we would go in, I would be like, man, this looks like fucking fun. It really (laughs) looks like fun. And you know, the guys would always be, or the girls, like whoever, the people that would be welcoming us in would always be you know, it looked like they were having fun and they were happy to have people in. You know what it's like when you have a guest in the studio. It's like so much fun because it breaks up the monotony of you just being in there alone, you know, talking to a fucking microphone in an empty room. So whenever we would have a guest come in or, 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 or you know, whenever I would have a guest come in, it would always be this like, ah, this high moment. So I remember going in and doing interviews and and loving it. And there was this one station in particular, I have to, get, I have to shout them out because um, they probably planted a little bit of a seed deep in me um wjjo in madison wisconsin okay 
Um, they they supported slaves on dope big time. They were one of the because we were a heavy band, man. Like we didn't, we were like we were like I was screaming. Like it wasn't, you know, we weren't, but we had our moments. And and they they really banged a couple of our songs a lot, and it really really helped us. And um, there was a guy named Randy Hawk and a guy named um, Oz, and both of them were just awesome with us. And we continued like even when Slaves on Dope got back together, we did a couple of radio shows. Um, we flew out for taste of Madison and they flew us in and we did a show with DMC. Um, and it was just th- those early times going in and, and being on tour and going in, you know, into Madison and doing the radio shows and co-hosting a show. And I just loved, I loved it, but I never thought I would do it. Yeah. Never thought I would do it. It was never like, Oh, I want to do that one day. But I just remember, Hey, I like that. That was fun. So but it I- just kind of, I kind of, I, I literally stumbled into radio, man. It was I stumbled into radio. Same. But how for you? I um, I had so when I quit Slaves on Dope, I went and worked at a sunglass hut. I literally went from being like on the road ten months a year. Came home for Christmas, um, was with my girlfriend who was pregnant, and I said, "Look, I can't be, I can't go back out on the road. I was supposed to go to Europe for three months. I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. This has got to stop because I'm not, I'm not going to be that guy who's going to be away from his kid." And I got a job at a sunglass hut because one of her friends worked at Lens Crafters. And she's like, uh, my friend can probably get you a job there. And I was working at the mall in my neighborhood managing a sunglass hut. And I remember I was so proud because when you're a musician, if you're really, really want a, you know, a, a musician that works at it and does it and really sacrifices things and moves places to go be a musician, um, you don't usually have much job experience besides any <laughs> shitty job that'll keep you for as long as they can until you leave for tour and then they fire you. So I didn't have much job experience. I didn't have much education. Um, I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a lot of things that a lot of people are equipped with. Like I didn't have, you know, university education. I, I had high school and I had a couple of years of um, junior college, which we here call CJEP. I went to theater school and I, I did a three-year theater program that I didn't finish. Uh, and that was when I was at the end of my drinking. But having said all that, I I didn't ever think um, I could do anything or do anything else but music. That's all I was. I was like, this is it. Tunnel vision, blinders on. I'm going to be a musician. And when I had to step away from that and I got a job managing a retail store, I was so proud of myself because I was like, wow, I did this. I just walked into this and I got it. And then after doing it for almost a year, they offered me the biggest store downtown. And then at one point they wanted me to be a multi-store manager where, and maybe do a re, be a regional manager where I would run 26 stores and stuff. And I was like, wow, you know, I was so proud of myself that I was able to do all this, but um, I never thought that broadcasting would be around the corner, you know? And I was, I did the, that, that then I ended up going working for my dad who had a transport company and I hated my life, but I, I did it because my dad needed help. And I figured, well, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to work, I might as well work in a family business, you know? So I kind of sold my soul to the devil with that one and worked there for, for quite a few years. But it was at that point where I got back together with my guitar player and we started talking again and we started making music. So I was spending late nights at his place in his studio recording the, the next Slaves on Dope album. And someone had mentioned to me along the way that you'd be a really good commentator. Like you'd be a great, like, 
uh, columnist. Like you'd be great on TV just talking about pop culture because you're into movies, you're into music, you're into all this stuff. So I ended up starting to do that uh, at a local TV station. And one of the guys that I did it with worked in radio. And he had mentioned that they were looking for an overnight guy at Virgin, which was um, Virgin Radio, which was the the pop station, you know? So I did a demo for Virgin. Virgin heard it um, and they gave it to the rock station and they called me and they were like, we heard your demo. Would you want to come in and maybe talk about a position? I was like, okay. And that was it. And I ended up working overnights, midnight to 5 a.m. for a year. Um, and I worked at my dad's trucking company for almost a year. I did both where oh. I would work from midnight to 5 a.m., go to sleep at around six, wake up at around 1130 and go in for 12, 12 to five. So it was just a grind, man. And then at wow. one point I just walked away from my dad's company and went into radio full time. But I really had no experience, man. I had none. So that's why, you know, like it's funny because my kids make fun of me because I got my knuckles tattooed this year. And I got self-made because I really feel like I am, you know, and, yeah. and I know a lot of people in recovery will go, that's not true. It's your higher power that helped you with all that. But at the end of the day, I'm the one who makes the decisions. Right. So, um, this part of my life, no one gave me a hand with anything, man. Like everything I've done in the last 13 years in terms of like my media career is all me. Yeah. It's all me just, you know, trusting in, trusting in my higher power, trusting in making the right decisions and just taking the next indicated step. Yeah. you know next indicated direction following it and it just led me here and and it's also opportunities you know like taking hold of it and saying hey i'm i work at a radio station now i've got a platform let me start to do other content let me start to do movie stuff and and i remember they didn't understand what i was doing like i was calling up warner brothers and going hey i'd love to do some music like some interviews with some some you know movie people like i love this stuff and and i created this whole thing where you know i i ended up starting to do all this stuff that i love yeah. And no one in the market was really doing much. There was a few people doing it, but I, I found a way to, to carve kind of my own, like, you know, pave my own lane in a way. And, um, and it's great because everything I do now work-wise, I love. Yeah. And radio has kind of become, and this is crazy to say, but radio has kind of become my day job, which is an amazing day job. You know what I mean? So right. it's grateful, man. Grateful. But that's all because I stopped drinking. All Absolutely. of that is because I stopped drinking. If I wouldn't have stopped drinking. And I would have been, in, wouldn't have been in tune with and, and, and sensitive to all those things. And I, I don't know who knows where I would have been. Here's some irony for you. When I got into radio, I was a key holder at sunglass hut and going to school for acting. Really? Yeah. You were a key. So you worked at sunglass hut? I worked at a sunglass hut. That's so funny. In college, worked at a sunglass hut and a women's shoe store. <laughs> I worked at a shoe store too. I worked at, that's so funny. We have so much in common. Yeah. And, and, and you're, uh, yeah. And, and acting, I mean, God, I, that, I thought I wanted to be an actor. That's what oh, I, yeah. and I, and I still, you know, I still love playing roles and, and doing stuff like some of the promo stuff that I do. Um, I'll play a role. I, I have this, we have this, we, we had this heavy, heavy metal festival here called heavy Montreal. And uh, it, it went on for years and years. We've done, I have a poster behind me of the year that Slaves on Dope played. Um, nice. But we've done, I, I work, they have that brand that that kind of, it's kind of, we have a, a, it's like a division of Live Nation here. Okay. That that puts on a lot of shows. And I do a lot of promotions with them for the heavy Montreal branded stuff, all the metal shows. So I have this thing where I'm like, a, like I'm almost like, hey, what's going on? And like, I get this whole wrestler persona, persona I swear <laughs> a lot and I scream and, and I love doing that oh. stuff. I love playing roles and stuff, you know? Yeah. So 
and it's, I guess for people like us, it's easy to, to, to act and to play roles because we don't have to be ourselves. Right. Oh, that's the, that's the comfort for me. I do. Mm. Uh, I, I did uh, professional wrestling, uh, ring announcing and TV commentary for a few years. And now I do nice. MMA events. So I do the ring announcing oh, nice. Michael Buffer and people are like, wow, you're so good at it. I'm like, I'm more comfortable up there in that cage yeah, than, talking. Uh, than I would be sitting here in the crowd with you guys. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. the most uncomfortable part of my night is when somebody comes up and goes, you do a really good job. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. Uh, I know. Just say thank you. Yeah. Say, thank you i appreciate that don't don't uh, I, I remember dude it was a sponsor of mine that told me that he said just say thank you yeah i was like okay and it made it so much easier so now i'll just smile and say thanks i appreciate that That's i'll it. message you next time and go i used i employed that um so i know it's a little off topic but what do you think of jake paul signing with uh pfl did you hear about that i didn't yeah so jake paul signed with the pfl he's gonna fight mma now wow not, it's good for him. Dude's found a niche, man. He's from what he's, I understand, wasn't he a high school wrestler? That's what I understand. I mean, and yeah. he's got some boxing skills, man. People, it's yeah. not like that's this is chump stuff he's going in. He's he, no, you know, know, he knows how to it's, throw his hands and stick and move, and you know, and look what his brother's done with the WWE. I mean, I know it. it's crazy, man. Like, I I'm interested to see him. I mean, it's obvious that all of his fights have been very well um orchestrated if you will or well well set up you know what i mean yeah. like he's he set himself up for success which the boxing world is like that yeah. unfortunately and that's why i've kind of my my fandom has kind of veered more towards mma because at least i find an mma unless it's down to a decision it's pretty cut and dry what goes on in there you know yeah. it's just when they leave it up to the judges oh, times <laughs> where it's just yeah. but but it, but i'm i'm interested to see how he handles his first defeat and if yeah. he continues after that, yeah, I'm in, I'm interested to see what happens when he gets put on his ass. If he's the kind of guy that's going to get back up and continue, because yeah. I I I'm willing to put money on the fact that he gets knocked out, he's done. Yeah, I, I don't I'm think he, I, don't, I don't think he's in it for I don't know. I mean, and and you're I, I agree, man. His his hook is just deadly. Like yeah. he he can he can he can throw hands, but there's something about that guy what makes me say I don't know if his intention. Is mm. I don't know if he's a fighter like, I don't know if he's a fighter like Bisbing was a fighter yeah. or like like Poirier is a fighter. You like you watch Poirier fight, Poirier has to fight. He, there's nothing else he can do. Well, but also he can sell hot sauce. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's that's why uh, my favorite MMA fighter is uh, was is is still to this day George St Pierre. Yeah, he was dude, just... GSP man. I I it's funny because yeah. I have a belt. I've got a GSP belt that's signed oh. by George. Um, I've had, I've had George, um, sorry, someone's calling me. Let me get down. <laughs> I've had George, we've had George at our comic cons, um, oh, many wow. times cause he's from here. And, um, I got a belt signed by him. I'll send you a picture yeah. and I, it's, it's out being framed right now because I, 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 I want to put it up and it was lying around. Like it was on the back of this couch <laughs> for two months. And I was like, okay, this has got to be put in a frame, but oh, GSP, yeah. GSP is the best. Yeah. I mean, when, cause Bisbing's always, Bisbing's my favorite fighter. But George is the best. I mean, yeah. he's the best, most well-rounded. Just everything about him is just perfect. Like the guy's classy. Um, he's he's just he's great. And when he fought Bisbing, it was really really tough for me yeah. because yeah. I wanted, you know. And I've got a picture. Of the I've got, I wish I would have known. I would have pulled it out because it's it's buried somewhere. But I've got a photo of him choking out Bisbing when they fought. 
And George signed it and he's, he signed it and said, sorry, I choked out your buddy. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to get Bisbing to sign this if I see him. And he's like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. I'm like, what do you mean? Uh, I want to have it signed by both of you. He's like, don't do that. Uh, don't bring that to get signed by Bisbing. But yeah, GSP is the, he's incredible, man. Yeah. He's incredible. Here's an uncomfortable moment in this very studio. We had Chuck Liddell. Oh, no, you, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I, and, I've uh, met him before and I never interviewed him, but he's, 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 I mean, intense, just taking a picture with him backstage at, at, I can't remember which UFC it was, but he was in Montreal for one of George's fights. And I was, um, you know, when you're press, you're accredited, right? You get to go to some of these events. So I just took a picture with him and I was like a little fucking nervous just taking the photo with him. So I can't imagine how, talking to him. I'll, I'll send you the, the video where I fate square up against him when I mean mug. And then Oof. at the end, I'm like, you're done. Right. I think I got to shit my pants. <laughs> Yeah, he's well, the mitts on this dude. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm not a small guy. I'm six three. You know, I'm okay. A pretty oh good wow, okay. Guy, but his okay. fist. I mean, yeah. And uh, but I put my my best friend was in the studio because it was one of the nights of the MMA events that I that I do the ring announcing for, and I go, hey, to my best friend, I go, were we were we going for Chuck or Randy? Uh, that so I put him on it on him, knowing we were pulling for Randy Couture in those fights, and he goes, yeah. "Uh, pretty sure it was Randy." But we had Chuck's back against Tito, <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> which Randy Couture, another great guy. I mean, just yeah. amazing. I did a, a an event with him here locally, and just such a wonderful, wonderful person. That's cool. Yeah, those are the OGs, man. Those guys yeah. are are you know, I, I Liddell's pretty pretty special, and and who's the other? I, I met oh, um, Johnny Hendricks when mm. Hendricks was fighting. Um, that was when Hendricks fought. I can't remember who he fought, but I remember I saw him knock somebody out. It was one of those, not those, like when he had, there was that, that remember Hendricks went on that little run where he was just like fucking, I don't know what happened to him. It just fizzled out really quick. But I remember interviewing Hendricks and interviewing, um, the guy from New Mexico, uh, no, from where's he from? He fought, also fought GSP. Yeah. Um, oh God, I can't remember his name. Anyways. Um, it's escaping me. He retired. He has a coffee company now. I think he lives in New Mexico or he lives in, um, anyways, it doesn't matter. I'm trying to think but, of who it could be, but yeah. Um, Carlos Condit. Okay. Conduit. Um, he was another guy that was like fucking you, 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 I don't think people realize until you stand next to some of these guys that they have this aura that is like, Oh fuck. And you know, who doesn't have it? GSP. Really? Not at all. He's so welcoming. Like he has an aura, like he's George, sure. but he doesn't have that thing where you're worried. Like all right. those other guys where I'll stand next to them, you're like they're squirrely, you know, like not, yeah. something can fucking happen. Yeah. But George, no, he's got that Zen thing about him, man. He's just, he's just special. Randy was that way. He was yeah. very sweet, welcoming, yeah. kind. I, I, I could see that for sure. Yeah. For sure. He, but Liddell, <laughs> <laughs> standing next to Liddell, I was like, fuck. Uh, you know, <laughs> when, know. We got, when we got to the core of him, you know, you could see an incredibly sweet guy. Because I, I yeah. was asking him about, you know, instances of boundaries. And there was something in his childhood with his family. Somebody insulted him or was where it was like his first ever, you know, his, his raised by his grandpa saying, you know, hey, don't you know avoid a fight at all costs but if you have to win mm. and so yeah. it was like kind of that thing so you started to kind of understand him and yeah. how he talked about it you know 
being a you know the business aspect of it and the competition and just you know the love of that competition for him as much as it seems like oh likes to beat up people no he likes to win in competition and that's just the skill set he has and oh yeah yeah. really fascinating to dig into that you know it was it was interesting to be able to make parallels with this the fight that you and i've been in for our sobriety for our lives you know have you have you ever have you ever fought besides the i did jujitsu Okay. Uh, for a couple of years, but I mean, other than the, the fight in high school here, yeah. there, no, nothing competitive. No, I'm, I, I'm, I did, I'm, I'm like 170 at six, three, you, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty gangly. I did one, I, I did a boxing match. I had one fight amateur. It was for, um, it was, uh, for charity. It was me against another radio host. And we, 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 you know, we hyped it up. I cut weight for it to get, get down to his weight. And, uh, we fought three rounds, amateur, you know, real boxing rules. And um, it was, I had a hard time punching someone in the face. Mm-hmm. Like everyone talks about how, oh yeah, you're going to get in there and like, no fucking way. I jabbed and I couldn't pull my right on him. Yeah. And it was, and and I remember talking to uh, a friend of mine who was a, a pretty competitive high level boxer. And she said, she goes, takes like five fights till that goes away. And then you can do it. But I understood fighters a lot better after doing that and saying, okay, now I understand you have to have that thing that kind of is like, I don't want to say screw loose because that is a connotation, like it's negative, but you have to have that switch Yeah, yeah. that you can turn on and off, which I, I, you know, if I was to fight that same guy in the street, it'd be a different ball game, yeah. you know, but it would have to be, you know, him attacking me and it's real, but I couldn't, but I can only, you know, like I can fight in in a street situation if I had to get into a fight, it would be it, it's different. But competitively, turning on and off, I can't. It's yeah. it's hard. It is. It's hard. It like, is. It's really really hard. So I have a lot of respect for these guys that are able to like kick the shit out of each other, <laughs> and then the bell rings, and then they're hugging each other. What? Right. <laughs> it's like you were uh-huh. just trying to destroy him, like hammer fisting him until the ref stops. Yeah. I know it's uh it really is a trip. I've never thought of it that way because when I was doing jujitsu, my my uh, coach, I mean he he's from Brazil, Mm. and he had won a ton of medals around the world in competition, and he'd always get on me because we'd be sparring, you know, rolling, and and I would start like laughing like before it was a situation where I got caught and had to tap out, and he's like, "What is it with you?" And I'm like, "I lost the chess game." You know, whereas his yeah. was just this killer, like sweetest, most mild mannered guy. But when you got in there, I was like, "Hey, coach, can can I go against you?" It lasted like six seconds. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, big, yeah, yeah. big two twenty six four, just amazing specimen of a human. But I, I don't, I, I, I think for me, like, it's not that we're not fighters per se, but maybe not in that way. Again, to kind of go back, I mean, we fought for our life. As much as I hate the term rock bottom, I think it's a little insensitive to to tie to the disease of addiction a rock and a bottom in the same same stroke of words but yeah you know i think my fight has been in a in a different way you know Mm. and i think some people are just they're they're, we're just built different man well you know i think that obviously you know i have there's a certain amount of discipline that that's involved with staying sober um there's maintenance you know there's there's all that so in lay in a way we're very similar to to fighters because we're fighting and we we have to stay in shape and we have to stay sharp and we we can't rest you know we gotta 
and we're con- you know we're sparring every day. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I have a lot of respect for addicts and alcoholics, that, especially ones that are able to stay sober. Yeah. Um, it's tremendous. To it, it's not only is it a gift and it's rare because the majority of us don't make it. Um, yeah. But it's when you're it's when you're around recovery long enough to see some of your friends go, mm-hmm. and see people you know go, and you realize, whoa, this isn't like. And I remember, I remember my first me my first few months in 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 Alcoholics Anonymous. Some of my trudging buddies, I remember one of them going on a slip, and I remember it was devastating. I think I was three months sober and like, hey, did you hear so and so went out last night? I'm like, what? And I remember it's just like. <gasps> It was, yeah. uh, it shook me. And yeah. now it'd be like, yeah, okay. I, I yeah, I saw that coming, <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's when that first starts happening or when you're fr- like, I had a sponsor who, 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 my first sponsor meant the world to me. He went out with one of his sponsees uh, and I was about three or four months sober. Wow. And I remember it was like, holy shit, what do I do now? Yeah. Um, but I, you know, the, the rest of the group was there to, to carry me and, and, and I was okay, but it was, it was scary shit. And, but it's when somebody, you know, dies. Yeah. Yeah. It's when somebody, you know, dies. And, and I had that before, before I got sober, before I came into the rooms, I had a friend of mine that died in a drinking and driving accident and he killed a whole family. He hit somebody head on and there was a family in the car and killed them. And then he killed himself. And uh, the guy that was in the car with him, the passenger, passenger seat lived. Wow. And that was, I remember that happening probably about three or four months before, maybe, maybe less before I stopped. And I remember like a couple of weeks later, we were all drinking and driving again. Like all yeah. of us, not, like all my, my friend group, it didn't, it, we were upset, but you know, and it just, it was that, that, you know, having a friend here and then the next day he's not here. And now, you know, I have so many people that I've known over the years. Just recently was the anniversary of a friend of mine that died two years ago. Um, they found him in his apartment. You know, they, he, he, this guy was such a talent. Another broadcaster, talented guy, funny, you know, good looking guy, funny, um, like just talented, man. And everybody loved him. Everybody loved this guy. Couldn't get his shit together. He was in a major market, left, went to a secondary, third, you know, tertiary market, and then kind of lost touch with him. I would talk to him every once in a while and he would always try to get it together, but I knew he was, he wasn't, he wasn't there. And and then I got the word that, yeah, they found him um, New Year's mm-hmm. Day. Like he didn't show up for his shift. And someone from the radio station went and called him, knocked on his apartment door. His car was there. And then they started putting two and two together. And then I was like, yep. And that, you know, it's devastating, but it's reality. And that's what I got to remember is that this fucking disease wants me dead. Yeah. There's no, there's no if, ands, or buts about that for me. I know that this disease wants me dead. That's the disease I have. Yeah. And if I don't take care, that could be me. That's why when people have asked me why, you know, that are normies, you know, why, uh, why do you guys classify it as a disease? I said, no different than any other one. It wants yeah. you dead. Yep. It just does. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. And, and as much as the uh, Metallica album, people don't like St. Anger. There's one of my favorite lyrics ever from that album with James Hetfield said, my lifestyle determines my death style. And that has stuck it's with a great me line. forever. It's a great line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if there's anything to pull from that record that was good is that. <laughs> Yeah. I love yeah. the song Saint Anger. Yeah. It's just like I, you know, I go to the I don't, live version of it. I gotta tell you, man, I like look, there's some stuff that happened in the nineties with Metallica that's questionable. Sure. But you try putting any other band up against them live, there's nobody that touches them. Mm-hmm. They're so fucking good. Mm-hmm. But 
the proof is in the pudding. They did um, a tour where they did, their entire set list was by request only. So it was the by request tour. And if you yeah. bought a ticket, you got uh, an access code to go online and vote for the set list in your city. And when they played Montreal, it was Black Album and before. There was not one song in the set after the Black Album. Oh, so, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, Montreal is a real metal city and Quebec is a metal province. And um, they, I, I, I love Metallica and, and they'll always be one of my favorite bands. And yeah. I, you know, I really, I, I thought Hardwired was good. I thought um, Death Magnetic was good. I'm looking forward to the new record. I love Lux Eterna. Like I, I think yeah. Metallica is great, but even there, even, you know, load, reload, San Anger, it's like, oh, but there's moments, you know? Yeah. There's, uh, I, there's many a songs I revisit off of, off of, uh, the re- load, reload. As a matter of fact, I started taking bass lessons again. It's been like, you know, Jesus, it's been almost 20 years since I've taken bass lessons and, and just my chops. I just don't have ears. The mechanics, I got yeah. that. The ears. So yeah. my my teacher, he's really good about that. And I'm sitting there playing some. He's like, what are you playing? Uh, and I was playing King Nothing. And he's like, okay. oh, you got that down, you know? So yeah. there was some cool riffage and stuff. And, you know, but I get it wasn't the the early, you know. Well, you, you know what it is? It's that if you work in radio, all the Metallica that you're going to really, really know and love, if you weren't a Metallica fan before, it's all the stuff. It's all the radio stuff is from that period. Yeah. You know, they had no radio success. That's what a lot of people forget about Metallica is that when, when they put out one, like that was the first video that they had ever done. Mm-hmm. And that was from Justice for All. They had never put, made a video, a music video before that. And they were selling out arenas all yeah. over the world. Yeah. They were doing hockey rinks everywhere with no radio support and no MTV support. Nothing. So when that came, it just brought them to that whole other level. And then the black album just exploded. But one was like, that's where everyone discovered them. So I I got into them on Injustice for All. That's when I first saw them in like 88 or 89. And I was this kid who listened to I, you know, I was listening to New Wave, like or or, or alternative music, like, you know, the Smiths, New Order, The Cure, um uh, you know, all that stuff. Echo and the Bunny Man. It was all like 80s stuff. So Metallica was so different from anything. Yeah. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> and I remember going to the show and be like, holy shit. And I was hooked. And, on. and then the Black Album came out and it was like, you know, say what you want about the Black Album, but it's still a masterpiece. Oh, you know? absolutely. And the brilliance of, you know, Bob Rock, who worked with so many, you know, Motley Crue's another one of my huge bands. I literally uh, do a podcast just about Motley Crue. You have to oh, come on, do an episode with me. Yeah. I I, I, I have um, Tommy's signed drum skin up on my, by my room, right up here. I'll, nice. I'll pull this off for you. Check it out. Check that out up there. See? Oh, hell yeah. It's from the dirt. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I uh I got uh, I got Tom, I got Nikki signed a copy of the Dirt uh, book yep. for me and then I've got Tommy's book Tommy Land where he just put uh uh may, Jason may all your ups and downs be in bed Tommy. <laughs> it was like how how you, more I, Tommy I, I, Lee. You you've you've interviewed all those guys? I have. I've interviewed everyone. That's actually I mean, we're get, I know we're getting close to pressed on yeah. time so I'm going to jump into random questions here yeah, sorry, like sorry. Fin- up, finish up and have fun so we can we can bring that up in there. Um so let's just let's dive into it. We'll have to do a part 2. This has been a yeah, blast. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think we're going to have to talk again. <laughs> yeah, we've 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 done meeting stuff but never just sat and bullshitted before. So, uh all right, let's let's go in top uh, top 3 favorite interviews that you've done. Ah, it's hard to say because I've done, I've done a lot of really cool ones. Um, definitely. I think my favorite interview that I've ever done 
and it was on my podcast this last year was um matt wallace and billy gould from faith no more yeah um matt wallace produced all those integral faith no more records and billy gould's like faith no more is my favorite band of all time no you know no if ands or buts about it they're the most important band to me so being able to talk to them for over an hour about angel dust and about the real thing and it was just that was right up there um obviously the rock was an important one you yeah. know um just professionally it was like it was a feather in the cap because he's like one of the biggest guys stars in the world that was a really really good one i popped um, for you so big i was so excited yeah for you. oh thank you man yeah no it was, it was it was a big deal like having him in front of me and just i mean talk about a specimen god i mean the guys are just a beast you know um that was a really really uh, uh, important one and um probably number three I, I would you know probably perry farrell from jane's addiction right on. that was one that was was you know i've talked to a lot of people man like i've, I've ta- gotten to talk to a lot of people and i'm not i mean peter hook from joy division and new order uh, that was important jim kerr from simple minds but wow. but perry farrell from Jane's was really important because we had just done uh and during the pandemic I did this whole project called the Kings of Quarantine huh. and I got all these people together to do covers and we had done a Jane's addiction cover of Mountain Song. And um Great song. Louis yeah and Louise Post from Baruch Assault sang on it. And I remember going back and forth with Louise because she was very hesitant to do it because because Jane's addiction meant the world to her. And when Perry Farrell um complimented the, the cover and said Louise did a great job and you were good too. And pointed at me, I was like, holy shit. Cause I mean, Jane's were so important to my musical life, you know, yeah. like my, they were right there when I was starting to write music. So, you know, nothing shocking and ritual to habitual. Those two albums were just like so important. So yeah, those are, those would be probably all, all the ones that mattered to me were the ones that mattered to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's, there's, there's interviews that I did. Like, you know, my, my, I think my most popular interview was, um, uh, was, um, the guitar player from rush uh, alex lifeson that was a really really big one for me and it was a really nice interview but i love rush but you know getting to talk to perry was really important yeah. it was really important yeah he's one of those people dave, dave navarro big influence on me yeah. i would love to be able to talk to him. not only you know like reading <laughs> I his great, i i have yeah. a great dave navarro story oh god go for it i'll tell you it really so when i was um when i first moved to california uh I was about eight years sober or seven, seven years sober, seven or eight years sober. And I went to my first meeting in Hollywood. And, um, and I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I should say that. I mean, he's, is he openly in recovery? He's a, okay. We were, he was going to come on here and then he got COVID real bad. Okay. I don't want to break his anonymity. So I don't want to effects. No, he, I don't, he talks about it. All right. So I, cause I just don't want to, I don't know if that's the, anyways, I, I was at a meeting and, um, I it was my first meeting. I got into Hollywood. We moved to Hollywood and I went to a Hollywood meeting and I was like, okay, moved to California. I got to get, get to a meeting. So someone said, go to this meeting. And I'm at the meeting and um, I look back and uh, Scott Whelan walks in. I was like, holy shit, Scott Whelan's here. Holy fuck. That's crazy. Wow. I'm really in California. And at the end, we're doing the Lord's prayer and, and uh, we take hands and I look down and there's this guy who's got these Roman numerals on his hands and i was like oh that's cool well that's that's interesting and then i'm putting away chairs and 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 this guy's with me and we're putting we're stacking tables together and i'm looking at him, he's got a hat on comes up to me he goes hey are you new i'm like yeah i just moved here from montreal he goes oh yeah cool nice to meet you he goes well you know let me give you my number my name's dave and i shake his hand and i look at him i'm like you're dave navarro <laughs> hang on a minute and i run out to my car 
and I grab a demo tape and I run in and I give it to him. I go, here's my band. We just moved here. And I just see him go gone. And I was just like, Oh, you idiot. And I fucking learned such a valuable lesson that day that I never would do anything like that again. But I was so, we had moved there for the singular purpose to get a record deal. So my blinders were on. It was just that, that, that. And I got to make amends to him. After we got signed, I was at Jumbo's Clown Room, (laughs) um, which is an establishment in California where um, people, yeah, it's a place. Yeah, Yeah, uh, I know it. I know it. (laughs) Yeah, I was in the bathroom washing my hands. And I look over and Dave Navarro's at the next sink next to me washing his hands. And I look at him, I go, hey, man. He goes, hey. I go, I owe you an amend. He goes, what are you talking about? I go, I met you a year ago at a meeting. And I and he's like, oh, I said, I apologize. I go, it was really uncalled for. And I got to make the amend. So that's my Dave Navarro story. That's good, man. Yeah. That's dope. Uh, I love it. Uh, I would have to say, so we'll just stick with radio and I'll just run yeah. down. Uh, uh, number three for me, probably, gosh, now I'm trying to remember back with all the cool ones that I had. It wasn't a necessary musician, but Steve-O coming in studio. I wasn't yet. Yeah, I, I that's was, cool. I was in and out of the rooms at this point. Like, was he know, was he sober? He was sober post yeah. post the divorce and yeah. my divorce, and so I was kind of in and you know I was I was a fucking mess, Jason, and he um he could tell like through the conversation he just dropped some wisdom on me, so he helped plant that seed. And nice. that's the sole reason I've really wanted him on the podcast. Even if I got him for five minutes just to say, thanks, you planted yeah, a seed. Sure. Um, so significant there. Number two, I think the most underrated band, especially in America, in studio. It was so cool to finally meet and talk with him, Danko Jones. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I've talked to Danko. He's a great guy. Canadian, too. Fellow Canadian. <laughs> Such a talented guy. And yeah. uh, so finally got to meet him, see them live. And then number one was Mick Mars for sure. Because yeah, Motley's nice. so huge. And I just like, like, and hearing... Mick's the guy that doesn't talk a lot. He doesn't talk to a lot of people. So I got an Mick hour. Is, that's amazing. Because Mick doesn't talk. He's not the guy. Like, he's, he's the guy behind the scenes, man. You know, he's the older dude. He's the, he's the guy that's over all this shit. Oh, yeah. That's and, a, I still believe that's why he retired, why he's done. He's just fucking over it. I think physically too, you know, it's just where he's at, but, but, uh, Mick, I, I love Motley, man. I hear you on that. I hear you on that. Gotten to talk to Tommy and Nikki and, and, um, but Mick, but never talk to Mick. That's crazy. That's really cool. They're all a blast. Vince, I got Vince about 15 minutes, Tommy and Nikki yeah. about a half an hour, but Mick, it was the end of his day, a phoner and, uh, and they were running late and he, he gets on, you know, apologizes and I go, that's okay. You're my Jeff Beck. And once I said that, he he was like, you know, how much time you need? I'm like, I- I'm on your schedule. He's all, we got as much time as you want. Wow, that's great. When when someone says that, you know, you're in for a nice conversation. It's great. Not the worst is when they're like, yeah, we got about six minutes. So let's go. <laughs> right. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> Things radio uh, people outside of the business do not get. All right, no let's idea. go. Yeah. Real quick and and random. Uh, your uh your biggest ism you still struggle with to this day. Food, mm. food is one, um, and uh, yeah, I think food would be the biggest one. Yeah, food. Yeah, that's one. That's that's a tough one, man. Food and um, and and yeah, because I mean, it's you. You have to have it every day. Yeah, you got to do it to live. Yeah. You know, so it's having that relationship with food where it's healthy and yeah. it's not. 
you know, gluttonous and it's, and especially coming off the holidays. I mean, fuck, <laughs> right? you know, and I love to eat. I love food. Both my wife and I love food and we're like, we want to be thin, but we're like, but we fucking love to eat. And, <laughs> and my, you know, and what, what's great about my wife is that, um, you know, like obviously she's my, you know, like I, I, she's, she's like, a she's like, the she runs our house. You know, she's like, she keeps, she, you know, I walk around like, uh, I'm the guy, but no, my wife runs everything, man. She's got her finger on the pulse of everything. You know, she takes care of our finances. She takes care of our food planning. She takes care of her everything. Um, but she's also really ins- inspirational, like in a lot of ways. And, and, um, we both love to eat, but, I, and, and, we both love to talk about how we're, you know, we'll, we'll say like, Hey, like, fuck it. Like life's too short, but we got to watch it, you know, yeah. cause you do have to watch it. I mean, cause food's like anything, like it can creep up and, um, yeah. and we both just looked at each other the other day and we're like, all right, your birthday's January 3rd, January 4th. Let's try to turn over a new leaf and let's try to get back on track. Cause we we're off the rails for a bit, but, um, yeah, food's, food's the big ism for me. Yeah. Definitely. Isn't there something about it when you find that, that, a person that's just you can build a life with where for me i'm in the same boat but i never yeah. get the well look at how much i do look at how i you know, oh yeah just like yeah wow. like i i've had other relationships where i've talked about something like i'll be like well i'm really having a hard time with this and they'll look at me and go well i'm having a hard time with this i'm like you're not you don't get it like i need a minute to talk about me and then we'll talk about you and just having a partner like it's funny because i don't I'm one of these people that like, you know, you know, you get people that are like, I, I want to, you know, uh, my partner and I, and we're like, partner, what, what does that mean? But I get it now because mm-hmm. my, my wife is more than my wife. She's my partner. She's my life partner. She's my mm-hmm. best friend. She's my lover. She's my, she's everything, you know, that way. Um, and it's great to have someone that you can build a life with because I mean, mm-hmm. man, she's like my rock, you know? Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. One more here. Uh, sure. cause I want to leave you with the final thoughts. I know you got to get rolling. Um, if you could have dinner with any just one person, living or not, who would they be? Probably Henry Rollins. Yeah, I'd love to have dinner with Rollins. I'd love to sit down, and he's on my. You know, I've I've already visualized it in my head that I'll talk to him one day, and I know he's obtainable. Um, but yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to have dinner with Rollins. Yeah. Love to have dinner with him. Make sure if you get him, you let me know because that's something I gotta hear if you have a conversation yeah. with him. Because yeah. I've tried. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. He's, he's tough to nail down. Um, I've met him, met him very briefly when he spoke. I've seen him speak a dozen times. I've seen oh, Rollins band a bunch of times. Um, and I got to go up to him and he signed a damage record. Actually, the person that got me that print, the one I was telling you about, I got her, her copy of damage signed for by him because I knew he was coming and she sent it to me and I go, I'm going to get it signed for you. And, yeah. um, and he was great. He was really nice when I met him, but uh, yeah, he's on my, he's on my bucket list. Yeah. Definitely. But I would love to have dinner with him. Of course. Yeah. Had dinner with Chuck. Had dinner with Chuck D. That was pretty special. Twice. Chuck Twice. is that would be cool because he's one of those like another level thinker type people where you could really just like leave a conversation go mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chuck is uh, he's he's special. I, I got to ask this one real quick. Um, favorite gold or platinum record that you got? Because I got a special one. Uh this band Half Moon Run. They're a Montreal band. Um, they first came in on my show in 2012. So it's coming, it's about 11 years ago. Uh, they came on and maybe four months before they came on or five months before they came on, I got a copy of their record from a buddy of mine whose label they were on. And I remember listening to it and the next day kicking it under my music director's, but my my station, my program, man, uh, program director's door and saying, we got to play this band. And they were like, yeah, it doesn't fit our format. I'm like, dude, this band is amazing. 
And we have this thing called Classic Vinyl Sunday, mm-hmm. where every Sunday we'll play a classic record from front to back on vinyl. And a year later, we were playing their whole album on Classic Vinyl Sunday, which was unheard of for a new band. Nice. And I remember they gave me a gold record and it meant the world to me because, again, it was my way of saying, this is how I can make a difference and be yeah. of service. So yeah. that the, the first Half Moon Run record, and they gave me two. So that meant a lot to me. That's dope. Yeah. I, I they probably didn't need it, but uh I when I ran the the rock station that I did, uh I was the first official ad for Chicken Foot in the US. Oh nice. And so that's one that still hangs in the house. Most of them I left behind at the the studio, the station yeah. and stuff. But the but that's pretty cool. Then to be able to talk to the Red Rocker was like, you know, yeah, come on. That was dude. pretty dope. <laughs> that's very uh, cool. Hey, uh, you have the floor. Anything you want to lend to people, some drop some knowledge. It's it's your time. I, I if you're listening and you're you're struggling, um, if someone is struggling listening to this, just remember that um the minute you make a decision and you go into a meeting for the first time, you've already ruined your drinking or your using. It's done. So the minute you you make that first step and you say, I have a problem, just think really think think before you do that. Because once you do that, you're done. The gig's up, no matter what, no matter whether it takes, whether you stop that day or it takes you another 10 years or you never make it, the gig's up. Once you make that, that, that admission that you have an issue, um, it's over. So you might as well stop fighting because it's ego. It's all ego. And when you let go of that ego, God, it's amazing how much, it's amazing how much power you get when you let go of all that. You get so much more power by relinquishing it. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast, featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, and trauma, to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the Knocking Doors Down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.